0: Hello, I'm Floyd Miller, the host of It's Everything West Texas, and I mean everything. Some of our topics are going to make you laugh, and some will make you cry. I guarantee you, all of them will make you think. It is the podcast that highlights people and issues in West Texas. As a neighbor, we want to talk with you. The goal is not necessarily to get agreement, but it is about understanding. Subscribe today and never miss another podcast. Hello, my name is Floyd Miller, and I am the host of It's Everything West Texas. I believe that we have a very interesting program for you today. We have an author in our studio, and the name of a book, the book is Confessions of a Female Pastor. Well, that just kind of jumped out at me, because first of all, most of the time, We don't expect confessions to come from our pastors, normally it's from the people that's, that's sitting in the pew. This is a very interesting book. It's written by Janice Six. She is a retired pastor of First Christian Presbyterian Church, and you're going to hear from her in just a minute. Today, this program is being sponsored by the West Texas Tribune, Real News, Local news at westtexastribune.org and Floyd Miller Investments, helping individuals make wise money decisions.
1: I'd like to welcome you to the program, uh, Pastor. Thank you very much, Floyd. I would say that I was the associate pastor of First Central Presbyterian Church. I believe you said First Christian. Okay. So I'm just making okay. sure. <laughs> all <right.
0: laughs> sorry. Okay, so those, those kind of things happen. Yes. All right. Well, I'm glad that you are here, and I've read some of your book. It's a very interesting book. So maybe first of all, tell us a little bit about why you decided to publish this book.
1: Okay. Um, over the years, I was at First Central for 25 years, 17 of those years I was uh, the associate pastor. And during that time, I um, offered prayers during worship a lot of the time for Bible studies, for small groups, Wednesday night programs. And members had said, we'd love for you to put your prayers into a book. And so that was just a seed plant. Um, One member many years ago said, "Um, I would really like to see if, if you would put together a book of your prayers of confession. And I thought that was an unusual request. Most people would probably rather hear prayers of gratitude or adoration or, or something along that nature, but she, she requested prayers of confession that I had written. And so that seed was planted. It neared time for me to retire. And I started thinking that perhaps this would be the time to consider a book, and that's when... Her comment came back to me and that led to the title, Confessions of a Female Pastor, which I thought was a little bit intriguing, might catch somebody's attention. Uh and so then I added the um uh, the second part of that title, which is and other prayers of the people. So
0: Well, I, I like I said, I think it is a great title. It it caught my attention and I'm wondering, confessions of a pastor, what <laughs> what is a pastor confessing? And so I've got a few, th- few of those excerpts from your book, and I'd like to just put a title out there and let you talk about it a little bit. And the first one is you said, we don't know what we don't know. So what's that all about?
1: That came about... Um... Most recently, in the past few years with the uh, Me Too movement, realizing how often we may be saying things that others perceive as prejudicial when that's not, or in my case, not my intent at all. And sometimes, and in this particular story, I didn't even realize that I had any prejudiced thought until this incident took place that I describe in here, And it was very convicting to find that I did. And it hurt because cognitively, intellectually, I am not prejudiced. But there was still this hint of fear down within me, which I think is the root of prejudice anyway. And so that saddened me. And it still saddens me. But now that I'm more consciously aware, I just pray that I, you know, I pray that I'm not prejudiced. You know, so that's where that came from is we don't know what we don't know sometimes. Um, I didn't know that about myself until put in that situation.
0: Well, you want to expand a little more about this story? Mm-hmm. Kind of just tell us what did happen.
1: Okay, let me look right quick. I need to find it in here. Thank you. Uh, late afternoon of Thanksgiving Day, my phone rang. It was a very good friend of mine. Her name was Sandra. She was a black woman that I had met at breakfast on Beach Street several years earlier. And Sandra was calling me from the emergency room, which uh, was not necessarily unusual or cause for alarm because that's where she went for her medical care. Um, anyway, she needed a ride and she called to see if I would come get her and take her home, which I was very willing to do and i also my husband had packed up a bunch of the food that we had left from thanksgiving to also send with her and or for me to take to her then she said and can you give a couple of my friends a ride too and immediately i was uncomfortable it was one thing to give sandra a ride but i didn't know her friends and i stammered around trying to justify why i wasn't sure if i could also pick them up too But driving across town, I was feeling so guilty for being hesitant to give her friends a ride. Uh, And so to make myself feel feel better, I decided, oh, I know what I can do. I can give them money for a cab, and then I'll take Sandra home. Uh, I pulled up into the driveway of the ER. I spotted Sandra and her friends, and the apprehension that I had been feeling suddenly evaporated. Oh, well, of course I could give her friends a ride. Why? The instant change of heart. Her friends were white, like me. Up until that moment, I had convinced myself that I wasn't prejudiced. My friendship with Sandra was proof of that, or so I told myself. Um, Yet in that split second... I came face to face with the truth that somewhere deep inside me, there remained an unjustifiable fear of strangers with dark skin. I thought that I had left this fear behind with my childhood. I felt so ashamed. I didn't know I had a racist bone in my body until put to the test on that Thanksgiving afternoon, and I regrettably failed the test. So when it comes to systemic racism... I pray for the humility to admit that I may be uh, perpetuating racism without realizing it. And I pray, too, for the courage to help uproot deep, unintentional racism in myself and the church, our nation. So with head bowed, I pray that Christ will continue to intercede on behalf of myself and others like me, praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do.
0: To me, you know, that's a a real powerful story. And and it does not matter who we are, what position we hold, we all have to be careful that we don't misjudge or prejudge. You had another article in your book. Did Jesus really have a British accent.
1: Yes. I
0: bet a bunch of people think that he does.
1: I bet they do. <laughs> they only know the Jesus that's on movies. <laughs> right, right. That's for sure. Um, I actually wrote a longer essay than what's in my book uh, for Spirit of Abilene. It's an online faith forum uh, that Loretta Fulton oh, yeah. puts together. And so this in its entirety was published um uh, couple of three years ago, but I took an episode and included it in the book. And um, my question that I pose at the very first is, why in the 21st century, casting directors and publishers of children's storybooks and other printed material continue to portray Jesus as Anglo-Saxon with chestnut brown hair, fair skin, and a British accent? I mean, we know from Scripture that Jesus was born in a particular geographic area and that his ministry on earth took place in this same place. And so why do we misrepresent his ethnicity Uh, in this age of hypersensitivity to misleading stereotypes and suspicion of motives? I think it's especially important that the church not be culpable of perpetuating an image of Christ that is blatantly inaccurate. Um, so, how much more believable might the good news of Christ's inclusive nature be if his ethnicity were no longer altered for some nebulous reason? And I also wonder what effect it might have on children. If they were taught from a very early age that Jesus was from the Middle East, uh, would this reduce fear and prejudice against people from that same region? And what the other question I ask is, what difference might it make uh, as far as acceptance and respect um, for people of other ethnicities if children were exposed to images of Jesus with dark eyes, hair and skin? And I wonder if seeing Jesus with dark skin and hair might prove to be affirming to children who share the same. So, and then I ask, would children of our church families here in Abilene be surprised to learn that Jesus did not speak English? And he certainly did not have a British accent. So if I'm making more of this than is warranted, then why, in the first place, has Jesus' true ethnicity been ignored all these years? And why do we continue portraying him with chestnut-colored hair and white skin? That really bothers me.
0: <laughs> well, you know, that might be a good discussion for a Sunday school class.
1: I think it could be.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, I, that's uh, those are the type of things that you're going to get if you— uh, read Pastor Six's book, I want to look at another one, and this to me is really kind of heart-wrenching. It's one that a lot of people deal with, obviously one that you dealt with, and it's called The Shadow of Death.
1: Correct. This one is very personal. This has to do with uh, my mother. I have two older brothers and uh, our mother had alzheimer's and was in a uh, care facility for 4 years before her death and during that time my oldest brother uh, was visiting there one day and noticed in the chapel a framed um, passage from scripture psalm 23 and as a child he of course he had memorized this passage so he knew it by heart but on this particular day it really struck him differently when he read the words Um, the shadow of death. Yea, though, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And it occurred to him that the shadow of death was a very good description for Alzheimer's. And that, in fact, was where our mother was at that time, in the valley of the shadow of death. Not death, but the shadow of it was veiling her mind a little more every day. And so four years later, after she passed away in 2007, I wrote a reflection inspired by Ron's uh, revelation. And that's what I include in the in the book. Would you like me to read a little bit of that? Yes, I would. Okay. Looming fears and grief disguised. She hopes none will notice as she quietly disappears behind her tear filled eyes. Her tight-lipped smile holds at bay stammering words she longs to say. Tangled vines and brittle leaves are like memories being crushed underfoot, her memories that continue to crumble one day at a time. Her vision dims, though the light still shines, make it difficult to find her way as she passes through the valley of the shadow of her mind. That's just the first part of what I wrote but perhaps more telling is the um, prayer that I that I include with this, and this prayer is an example, Floyd, of how you know we're taught to pray and also to give thanks in all circumstances. So this particular essay is in the uh, section of the book on prayers of gratitude, which is hard sometimes to consider <laughs> praying with a grateful heart during. Very tough, difficult times. So, this is an example of, well, this is the prayer I prayed.
0: Yes, okay. Uh,
1: one of gratitude for my mom's situation. Gracious and loving Lord, we fall into your strong arms that have held us up over these last few years. The awareness of your presence has been our peace, and the faith you've given us has been our shield against fear. As mother's memory has been chipped away a little at a time, We knew that there would come a day when she would not recognize us and our voices would be foreign to her, and I was convinced that nothing could be as horrible as being forgotten by my own mother. And yet, when the day came, you were there, and I realized you'd been preparing me all along the way when she politely asked, How's Janice? And without hesitating, I smiled and replied, I'm Janice, and I'm fine. And it was true, Lord, I was fine, thanks to you. When words would no longer come, you gave me ears to hear, I love you, through the expression in her eyes and the way she gently patted my hand just as she had always done. Thank you for answering my prayer for her to feel safe so that she could be content. Thank you for the reminder with, that with this thief in the night, We have only one moment to treasure at a time. As Mom made the journey through the Valley of Shadows, grief was never far behind. Those of us who walked alongside her had our run-ins with grief, but we were never overtaken because you were always with us each step of the way. You, Lord, have turned our night to day. And though we grieve, it is not as those who have no hope. Our faith and our hope are in Christ and the promise of everlasting life. By your mercy, Mom's suffering has ended, and she is now at home with you and all the saints forevermore. And for this, we are grateful. Amen.
0: You know, I, I think um, a lot of people will be able to identify with that. I I have seen it up close. Um, probably most people have seen it up close. And I kind of reflected on that after I read it, and I began to think, and you know, we are probably all in the shadow somewhere. We just don't know where.
1: That's right. We all see
0: dimly. <laughs> right, right, right. We certainly do. So I, I hope that will be an encouragement to someone that, has someone going through Alzheimer's, so or maybe they've uh, transitioned to the um, other side? Let me ask you: did, Do you have a favorite um, chapter or favorite story in the book that we've not talked about?
1: Well, I do have some more light-hearted okay. uh, in uh, essays and so forth in here. Uh, one of them, and is and it's a short one. Uh, And it's a personal story. It's in the confession section. Let me see. It's entitled Stack of Bibles. And this has to do with my children whenever they were um, young. Uh, One evening, I was tucking our little girl Julia into bed and her big brother, Greg. He was about 10 years old at the time. He came into her room and he was carrying a stack of Bibles. And the stack reached from his knees to his chin. He hunched over and continued to hold him, this huge stack, steady with his chin. And he explained that he had gone through the house and he had gathered every Bible he could find. Well, I was so impressed. First, I was impressed that Greg was so interested in the Bible that he searched the house to find all of them. (laughs) And second, I was impressed with how many Bibles we had. I mean, obviously, this was proving to be a very positive influence on his growing appreciation of Scripture. So puffed up, beaming with pride, I was silently throwing for myself the Mother of the Year party when, Greg said, you'd think with all these Bibles in the house, we'd be having a Bible study or something. Wow. Oh, yes, (laughs) that's what it was. As quickly as I had soared to cloud nine, I plummeted to the pits. I was convicted. My young son made his point. What good does it do to have a stack of Bibles if they stay on the shelf? And uh, here's a prayer that goes with that, Floyd. Out of the mouths of babes, Lord, we can so quickly be put in our place. Forgive me for apparently placing more value on collecting Bibles than sharing their content with the most impressionable members of our family. I admit that I have spent more time teaching them camp songs and fairy tales than introducing them to the Psalms and stories from Scripture. Please forgive me and help me remember the old saying, what you do speaks so loudly I can't hear what you're saying. Amen.
0: Wow. <laughs> I wonder there's some Bibles collecting dust and need a little dusting. <laughs>
1: <Wow>. <laughs> there there were in my home sadly to confess.
0: Well Any other story? I, I've I've got a favorite one that I want to end with.
1: Oh, go right ahead.
0: And let's talk about Do the Hokey Pokey.
1: Okay. That's one of my favorites, too. It's the last last entry in the book, and it's in the benediction section of the book. And uh, it relates to um, one of my favorite sermon series that I put together a number of years ago. And the sermon series was inspired by a T-shirt. And on the T-shirt was printed, Hokey pokey anonymous followed by the words a place to turn yourself around and I bought that shirt immediately I still have it and I wear it to this day that's more than 20 years ago um uh, uh, I go on in this passage to talk about the hokey pokey dance and its history how it came about and it's very different than what we might think it was not originally a children's little dance that that I learned as a child it was actually uh was for adults during World War II. So uh, I found that fascinating. But for me, this little song and dance represents sin and repentance. Because repentance actually means to turn around, to go in a different direction. And this is a very good thing. So rather than approaching repentance with reluctance or any negative connotation, I think it's time we embrace it and receive it as the hope-filled, peace-producing gift that it is. Repentance is truly a gift of God for the people of God, and it warrants a positive response from those of us who trust in God's power to redeem and make new. Repentance is a gift that's worthy of our enthusiasm, and it is worth singing about. And so the little prayer or benediction that I used during this sermon series was this. On your feet, all pride aside, put your whole self in and fess up. Shake yourself about. Rearrange your priorities. Clear your vision. Now you're ready, with God's help, to turn yourself around, to live in accordance with God's will and for God's glory, now and always. Because as the song declares, that's what it's all about. It ends with a clap.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, again, to me, that is powerful. I mean, it's it's a kind of a cute little song, but I hope that maybe we will think about the Hokey Pokey. And as you use it in this chapter, just turn our lives around, Amen. shake ourselves a time or two. Uh, wow. Yeah, I, I think you have a wonderful book here, yeah. uh, Pastor Six. I really do. Confessions of a Female Pastor. Now, If someone wanted to get this book, how could they acquire okay. it?
1: Certainly. Um, it's available at Texas Star Trading Company downtown Abilene on Cypress Street. They are the ones that published it, and um, they have plenty of books on the shelf, and also there'll be a signing of, of the book on um, the Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend from 1 to 3. I'll be there and very willing to meet people and sign their book or personalize them for friends. And um, if they'd like to give them as gifts for Christmas. Um, also, for people who are out of town, they can go to TexasStarTradingCompany.com and order them from their website. And if you order a certain number, I guess you get free shipping, I learned today. So uh, I don't know the details of that, but I know that's available. Um, it's also available online at some of the major um, book vendors that you can go to online but if you're local i'd certainly encourage you to to go down and visit glenn and carol drumgool at texas star trading company
0: all right well now you know where to pick up this great book uh pastor six is there anything else that you'd like to say as we close out it could be about your book or it could be about anything
1: i would just i guess like to say how appreciative i am um to the Christian community here in Abilene. I received my Master's of Divinity degree here at ACU, and uh, that was a highlight of my life, uh, and I have ultra uh, just ultimate respect for uh, the faculty of the Graduate School of Theology here. And um, um, I would also want to encourage people to recognize, when you feel prompted to pray, consider that a nudge from God. That prayer begins with God. It's like God tapping us on the shoulder saying, come on, talk to me. And when you feel that nudge to pray, accept the invitation.
0: All right. I think that's a good place to close out. God bless. And God bless
1: you too, Floyd.
0: Everything West Texas is a production of KACU and is sponsored by the West Texas Tribune and Floyd Miller Investments Securities and Investment Advisory Services offered through FSC Securities Corporation, member FINRA/SIPC. FSC is separately owned and other entities and/or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of FSC. Floyd Miller can be reached at 3300 South 14th Street. Suite 100 in Abilene, Texas, 325-676-0138. I'm Floyd Miller, your host. Subscribe today.